Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. In today's episode, we're chasing aliens, talking to dogs, and we hear from an Australian researcher using deadly spiders to mend human hearts. But first, it was this night in 1898 that Rudolf Diesel was about to go to sleep and dream up something pretty important. Yep, on the 9th of August, 123 years ago, the German mechanical engineer obtained the patent for the diesel engine, changing transport forever. You probably take some things in life for granted. The ability to hear podcasts, the chance to see a beautiful sunset, but not everyone gets to enjoy the full range of senses. And whether it's because of injury, illness or something else, it's an absence that can be deeply felt. As modern science develops, there's a huge variety of assistive technologies to help with the loss of hearing or sight. But when it comes to touch, existing technology has a number of significant drawbacks, from complex manufacturing to limited use. The field of neural prosthesis has already made promising developments to improve the lives of those who've lost sensation in their limbs, but now the researchers at Tel Aviv University have used state-of-the-art technology called a triboelectric nanogenerator to develop a touch sensor that can be implanted anywhere in the body. So how did this project start? One of my closest friends is the head of the microsurgery department in one of Tel Aviv's biggest hospitals. We started to discuss about the challenges in Carter's in his daily life. And one of them is apparently that many of the surgeries end up with the lack of tactile sensation due to the complexity of the injuries. And why exactly is tactile sensation so important to us? Tactile sensation is very important also for the quality of life. Uh, it enables us to hold our phone, to type uh, the computer, to, to hold things. Okay, so what's the new device and how can it help restore a sense of touch? The way the device works is by using a new concept of materials which actually uh, create electricity from very, very minor friction. We take it and we transfer it to a nerve that is active and still working. And by this, we create a bypass of the damaged nerve. In other words, we create a bypass with our device. And each time we touch something, we can stimulate the nerve that is still functioning. The intensity by which we stimulate the nerve is proportional to the amount of pressure that we apply on the finger. What are the implications from this study and device? So the implications of the study are big. We hope that it will be in massive use for people who don't have uh, tactile sensation because it is modular, relatively cheap, easy to fabricate and don't need any external power source. We hope to see this in patients and we hope to, to have more sensors inside such a device which enable also the ability to sense different temperatures and different uh, forces that are being applied.
Ever since mankind first noticed a shooting star, we've wondered about what else exists in the universe. And with the advent of movies and TV, we've always been fascinated by UFOs, little green men, and the mysterious Area 51. UFOs have been in the headlines a lot recently, particularly after the hotly anticipated Pentagon report on unidentified aerial phenomena was finally published by the US government. Sadly, the report was basically one big shrug of the shoulders, and while it didn't confirm the existence of extraterrestrial beings, it did state that of 144 reports made since 2004, all but one remain unexplained. For some, that answer just simply isn't good enough. Enter the Galileo Project. Led by the Harvard astronomy professor Avi Lieb, this new international research project will search for evidence of extraterrestrial life by looking for advanced technology it may leave behind. Here's Avi to tell you about it in his own words. We can pretend that we are the smartest kid on the block by closing off uh, the shutters on our windows and not looking out. And uh, that, of course, is a self-fulfilling prophecy because if we are not searching, we will never find anything. And in principle, we can stay ignorant forever. And I ask, why not search for artifacts of other civilizations? We know that we exist. We know that most stars form billions of years before the sun. We know that about half of the sun-like stars have a planet the size of the Earth, roughly at the same separation. So it comes without even speculating that it's quite possible that there were civilizations that predated us. They may not be around. We, we might not have an opportunity to have a phone conversation with them. So looking for radio signals is not the right approach. Instead, what we can do is archaeology. Look for relics that they left behind, equipment. And the way to do that is to survey the sky for objects that look weird. And the experience would be very similar to walking on the beach and seeing a plastic bottle among the many rocks that you find out there. As gyms and leisure centres shut their doors during the pandemic, walking and cycling gained a higher profile than ever. As governments encouraged us to go out on foot or take our bikes instead of using crowded public transport, sale of e-bikes also boomed in 2020, with manufacturers struggling to keep up with demand. Whether you've come across them or not, e-bikes have arrived and they're here to stay. Since 2019, the UK e-bike market has grown by 68% and according to a study by Bosch, since the pandemic more than half of UK adults are considering buying one. But what's at the core of the e-bike boom? Is it just the pandemic? Here's Tamara Winograd from Bosch e-bike systems to explain a little bit more. E-biking is not a boom, but really social trend that has developed over the last few years. In fact, so people realize that e-bikes offer some advantages, both in everyday use as in leisure time. It's not just the pandemic, why people are choosing e-bikes. 54% of e-bike owners bought their e-bike to boost their exercise levels, while 37% did so as a proactive step towards reducing their environmental impact. And 39% said that they bought their e-bike because they are fun. In July 2020, the UK government launched the Gear Change Plan to provide safer spaces for people looking to cycle more. There are also supposedly plans for e-bike subsidies or even grants. Can you imagine what impact those subsidies would have on cycling in the UK? Here's what Daniel Lloyd, former professional cyclist, thinks about it. 
I think it would have a really big impact on the country as a whole. I think a lot of people look to the Netherlands as a cycling country, and I never thought we'd ever get to that point. But the fact was that they were also a society that used motor vehicles a lot, but they changed things back in the 60s or 70s. And I think that things could change like that in the UK as well. More and more people are using bikes as transportation and to commute to work and back. And I think the more people that do use them, the more the government be motivated to change the transport links and to help the cycling infrastructure. And when that happens, people feel safer as well you know the fact that they've got e-bikes on a deal i think things could change quite dramatically over the next five or ten years Between the new hip dance routines and lip-syncing teens you may have come across a very special dog on your for your page Meet Bunny, the TikTok famous dog who learned how to talk with her owner. Bunny's a black and white fluffy sheep doodle. With a human, she's been using buttons to communicate since she was a puppy. She can use these buttons to form sentences and express her needs and wants, uh, her feelings. She can sort of narrate things that are happening throughout the day. But how did this all start? Here's Alexis Divine, Bunny's human. You know, we started with an outside button by the door. Um, I would press it every time that she wanted to go outside. And then I would say outside and I'd let her outside. And, you know, it took her a few weeks to build that association. And then she was using it consistently herself to tell me she went outside. Since then, Bunny's vocabulary has grown exponentially and now knows more than 90 words, which is about as many as a human toddler. Alex has been sharing her progress with their 7 million TikTok followers. Since then, we've added so many abstract concepts like love you and concerned and ouch, and we've added time and pronouns now. But what do the experts think? Here's Federico Rossano. They're the assistant professor in cognitive science at the University of California in San Diego, who's looking at how non-humans are able to express themselves in language-like ways. The bunny seems to be going through kind of a learning process that is very comparable to young children learning to speak. It's a kind of toddlerhood. And so right now, for example, Bunny produces a combination of four or five words as vocabulary of 70 words. And we know, for example, that for young children around 18 months, that's when they start producing two-word sentences. But usually they do that when they have a vocabulary of about 50 words. We're not trying to sort of make them different from what they are. We're trying to see is if they can learn something. And by learning this, now they can communicate more clearly with us things that otherwise we might never know they're even thinking about or caring about. There's definitely something really, really interesting going on here. Uh, and I cannot wait to see what the scientists have to say about it. I do think there is a sense that, wow, there is a lot more going on inside these incredible animals than we previously thought. Still to come on the Sunday 7, how a deadly Australian spider could help human hearts and a peculiar vaccine side effect and exactly what it means. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Three. The Caribbean islands are heaven on earth. They're world-renowned for their pristine white beaches and crystal clear waters. But a new study has found that the idyllic islands are facing a microplastic problem. They're becoming increasingly shrewd with plastic pollution from the maritime and tourism industries. The all-female crew of scientists on board X-Expedition Round World Voyage found flakes of paint from fishing boats, cigarette lighters and fragments of plastic food packaging in their samples. This is Emily Penn, X-Expedition's founder, speaking in 2020. One of the challenges with the ocean is that, um, you know, we all share one ocean and we talk about our territories and the seas that we own, but the ocean doesn't know that. It's, it's all connected. Um, and and the currents, you know, mean that um, plastic from one country can easily end up in the waters of another. And so that's a little bit of what we're trying to really understand. Um, but certainly we have seen, you know, trends. Um, we sailed through the Caribbean into Panama, for example, and we got very close to the shores of Panama, um, where a lot of rivers are leading out into the sea. And we got our densest ever sample of plastic um, on that shoreline. Similarly, this new study highlights that policies in one country don't necessarily translate to less pollution within their waters. For example, Antigua have a styrofoam, polystyrene and plastic bag ban in place and the researchers found very little of those items within the street litter, but they're still finding it broken down into small fragments in the sea. Small islands like Antigua may be the ones with the most progressive laws when it comes to plastic pollution, but the problem isn't down to one nation to solve. It's often plastic that, that we've given a lot of these countries. I think ultimately we need to be doing a little bit of everything. And the only way we're going to solve this problem is if we have individuals and consumers who have had that um, sort of shift moment where they think, OK, I really care about this, I, I want to do something. But then that there is there are options for them. And it's really down to industry to innovate and make that happen. And then, of course, it's also down to governments to make sure that the systems are in place for those solutions to work. There's no point having a new product like a biodegradable plastic if you then don't have a composting facility that it can go to afterwards. Um, so it all needs to be kind of connected up. Um, and then legislation so that we can see these solutions at scale. Sore arm, tiredness, maybe a bit of a fever? These are just a few of the common side effects people are experiencing after their dose of the vaccine. But what about changes to menstruation? After their vaccine, some people say they've also had changes to their cycles, reporting heavy periods or breakthrough bleeding. If you have a funny period after the vaccine, this is not something that we think is going to bother you for the rest of your life. This is Dr Vicky Mayle, an immunologist at Imperial College in London. So, Dr Vicky, can jabs change your period? So the answer to this is we don't actually know for sure yet, but lots of people have been reporting this. And the main things that people have been reporting are having um, a heavier period than usual or having um, a slightly delayed period. We do know that there are other vaccines where there are short-term changes to periods um, that may happen after you've had the vaccine. 
We know for those that um, the change only happens for one or two cycles. Why might they be changing after a jab? First of all, we know that um, the immune system affects sex hormones and sex hormones affect the immune system. And of course, it's your sex hormones that are running your periods. So if we give your immune system a big shock, um, whether we're giving it to you by a, you know, a vaccine or because you've actually got infected, you might see um, changes in those hormones, which will change perhaps when or how you bleed. The other possibility is you do have lots and lots of immune cells in the lining of your uterus, and this is actually what I work on. Uh, and one possibility is that these could be affected by the sort of general activation of your immune system that happens as part of a vaccination or a general illness, and that could affect your cycle. Are there any long-term consequences? No, most people who are reporting these changes to their periods are saying that they happen for one month. Some people say they happen for two months. The other reason that people are a little bit worried about this is they think, oh, if my period's changed, maybe there's a problem potentially down the line with my fertility. But we actually know from these other vaccines that cause short-term changes to your periods that there is no effect on fertility. And Dr. Fatima Hussein, fertility expert from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, agrees. There's absolutely no evidence or theoretical reason why the COVID vaccine would affect the fertility of men or women. So if you're in the reproductive age group, you're a man or a woman and you're currently trying for a baby, hope to do so in the near future or further on, there is no evidence that this will impact on your fertility and I would really encourage you to go and get the vaccination. breakthrough stars like Spider-Man and Incy Wincy, the PR effort behind spiders still has some way to go. They're nobody's favourite, especially the venomous kind, but that could all change very soon. Researchers at Australia's University of Queensland have been investigating if a protein in the venom of the deadly Fraser Island spider can be used to help human hearts. The venoms of Australian funnel-web spiders are among the most complex in the natural world. There are more than 3,000 different molecules in just this venom alone, so we sat down with one of the researchers to learn more. My name is Meredith Red. I'm a postdoc research officer at uh, the Institute for Molecular Bioscience at the University of Queensland. So essentially, when someone has a heart attack, for example, the blood flow stops to a region of the heart for a period of time. And during that time, the heart basically doesn't have enough nutrients or oxygen. And then that causes sort of an irreversible cascade of events, which can lead to substantial cell death. And the heart specifically is one of the least regenerative organs in the body. So once that cell death process occurs during a heart attack, there's no way to reverse that. Um, so this particular drug that we found, what it does is essentially stops that death progression or death cascade that initiates at the beginning of a heart attack. We normally see that after an injury, the heart has, um, in, our, in our case, about 20% of its baseline function. So these are quite severely injured hearts and hearts that are treated with our peptide uh, for example, are able to recover to about 60% of its original function. So we see quite a remarkable recovery of, of the hearts. What are your hopes for the future of this? How, you know, how long do you think it will be before we're kind of like walking into the A&E, clutching our chests, going, give me the venom? Well, it's hard to say. I think, as I said, we have quite a bit of work to still do um, before we get to clinical clinical testing. I would say it's still several years off before we're in clinical trials. So unfortunately, there's still a bit of a wait, I would say. But but so far, all the all of the work that we've done has been really promising and quite exciting. Um, the other thing that we're quite excited about is that the 
So one of the sort of case uses for this drug is heart attack, but there's also other sort of situations in the clinic where, where the heart withstands a certain amount of injury. Um, one, one example is heart transplant, where when you remove a donor organ uh, for transplantation, basically once you remove it from the donor organ, it's basically a, a ticking time clock before the heart is no longer usable. So while during that storage process of the heart, it can continue to withstand injury, very similar to what happens in a heart attack, but actually on a global level, because in this case, the entire heart has been removed. So if we can improve preservation techniques of that heart, we could potentially also improve heart transplant outcomes. So there's sort of, a, in addition to heart attack, there's other potential clinical scenarios in which this drug could be useful. We don't know yet for sure, but we have you know a lot of hope. If you could have a look at the venom and see if you can kind of get Spider-Man stuff on the go as well, that'd be really cool. <laughs> you know, solve heart attacks, then make us walk on walls, please. That'd be great. Yeah, it is sort of like a superhero movie. <laughs> This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Do you ever feel like money is just flying out of your account and you have no idea where it's going? Well, I know. It's all of those subscriptions. I used Rocket Money to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on, and I had them cancel the ones I didn't want anymore. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash pod24. That's rocketmoney.com slash pod24. rocketmoney.com slash pod24.